Hey guys, so, you know, podcasting is very hard. You need to script and you need to research. Sometimes I am too lazy to even script this opening intro scene. So, you know, I decided, hey, I want to just sit down and chat with somebody. And I just want to improvise this opening scene as I am doing now. Now, the guests for today's episode is Caitlin from Bug in a Rug podcast. And no, their podcast is not about bugs. I know, I fell for it as well. But they do cover cryptids and true crime and mysteries and the paranormal. So hey, we had a lot to talk about. So I originally planned to sit down with Caitlin and talk about bugs. Because apart from being a podcaster, Caitlin is also a zookeeper. And she is, as well as me, a biology major. So I thought, hey... Finally, somebody I can talk with about bugs. And then I just, you know, didn't feel like doing research and stuff. So, hey, hey, at least we can talk about cryptids. Because, you know, hardly ever do you have two biologists just sit down and talk about cryptids. Usually, usually biologists are not so open on discussing such things because we lose our credibility and whatnot. So I just sat down with Caitlin and we discussed how we got interested in cryptozoology despite being biologists how we feel about cryptids, and since she is from West Virginia, along the way we even encountered a cryptid. Oh yes, guys, today's episode can be used as credible evidence of the existence of the most grand cryptid in West Virginia, known as the Wampus Cat. No, not Braxy, not Mothman. Wampus Cat. And you know, it made its presence known to us via these ringing sounds like bells. This is not an isolated incident. Oh no, in West Virginia there was the Grafton monster which was encountered alongside whistling noises and there was the Veggie Man which was encountered alongside some pulsating noises. It looks like West Virginian cryptids come with their own jingles and the Wampus Cat is no exception because you can hear its bells ringing throughout the whole episode. So guys, sit back, relax, and just listen to me having a fun chat with a fun friends and being attacked by a wampus cat. So guys, today with me is Caitlin from Bug in a Rug, sorry, from Bug in a Rug podcast. That's hard to pronounce, like even if you're in the end of your episodes when you're saying like B-A-R-B, what is it? What is your Instagram handle? B-I-A-R podcast. Man. The only, 
Yeah, the only reason I've gotten good at it is because I've said it so many times now. You have said it so many times. Like, listeners, this is a podcast with over 100 episodes. And you've been constantly saying that over and over at the end of every episode. And I'm like, did I hear that properly? <laughs> yeah, you can you can hear it. I do mess it up a couple of times if we've taken a break from our podcast and then I try to say it again. I think one of our last episodes, I really struggled through the intro. I could not for the life of me remember what we said or what our podcast was titled. I got there eventually, but... It took yeah. a minute. Yeah. So listeners, uh, though they are named Bug in a Rug podcast, they have nothing to do with bugs. <laughs> and the funny story is how I found them. Uh, when I started my Darwin's Deviations show, I was doing a few episodes about termites and stuff like that. So I was looking for podcasts on insects and I just type in like bug or insect or something on, on Spotify, look for podcasts and you popped up. <laughs> so I, I saved your podcast and thought, wow, I should listen to this later. It's about bugs. And now you have new, like a new logo and stuff. The old one had like bug in a rug in green slime, which is a motif yeah. that I love from the nineties. And then you had yeah. a few bugs there and I, I'm like, wow, an entomology podcast. Right. That, <laughs> then I check it out and it's a mixed bag of uh, paranormal, cryptids, true crime. And I see you like covering the origin of holidays as well. Yeah. So the... <laughs> The name Bug and a Rug actually came from, I used to be called Bug when I was younger. My name's Caitlin and I knew seven Caitlins growing up. So we all had different nicknames for each other. And when I was trying to figure out a title, I couldn't figure out what I wanted the podcast to be called. And I was like, well, maybe we should do, you know, something with nicknames, something a little creepy. And so my sister and Jack, who's been on our podcast a couple of times, were brand brainstorming and he actually I think came up with it and was like well why don't you do like bug in a rug and then our catchphrase was like after you listen still try to sleep as snug as a bug in a rug kind of mm -hmm. thing so yeah. unfortunately no bugs but that's kind of where we got Man, it from. I can't believe like we have been chatting now before recording you've done what is it like 111 episodes now or is yeah. it more I, it might be a little bit more <laughs> there's yeah. no bug related episode <laughs> I know I know I've, I really, I'm going to try to figure, I, I'm, I'm going to try to find one now just, just because of this, because now I feel like I should. Yeah. So listeners, the original plan for this episode was like uh, me and Caitlin would be talking about bugs. And the cool thing is that Caitlin also has a biological background and works in a zoo. So I was like, dude, I really need to talk with you. You love cryptids and we're both biologists and we can talk about bugs. But uh, I, I didn't feel like researching for today. So we're just <laughs> chatting, as you can see. Yeah. That's okay. Research is hard sometimes. <laughs> oh, man. Like now I told you, uh, you should totally cover the Mongolian death worm because you're into yeah. cryptids. Right. But that's a whole lot of research. Yeah. <laughs> It'll take me a while. I'll get there. Some some stories I start and then I have like half the research saved because I've gotten through it and it's so much. It's fascinating, but sometimes it's just way too much and trying to condense it all into an episode is so hard because I'm the type of person that when I research, I want to put everything that I find in there. But <laughs> but you can't because you and your sister go off on tangents and right, get silly right. and talk about Disney movies and stuff like that. Exactly. Then it's like a three hour recording 
recording. I have to edit all of that. And I'm like, yeah, this just, it can't happen. It's too long. <laughs> I mean, that that's the appeal of your show. It's not too information heavy. It's fun to listen to. I just listen to your show whenever I'm, you know, doing something around the house or working or stuff like that, because it's so, it's so fun. It's not mentally draining. Yeah. And the chemistry between you and your sister as well. Yeah. That's, I think it's funny because um, my sister and I are kind of crazy when we're together and the podcast is like the only time I think some of our some of our friends that listen definitely know us pretty well but on the podcast it kind of shows what we are like together and Mm -hmm. that is pretty much like how we are all the time and I think it can be a little annoying to some people when we're together but just that little burst of us on the podcast I always hope makes people laugh because we're obviously laughing throughout the entire thing. And I'm like, I hope we don't dive too deep into like inside jokes or we reference Disney all the time. So if people <laughs> don't like Disney, they're like, oh man, another Disney joke. You start singing songs and stuff. And I'm like, oh, copyright strike. <laughs> right, exactly. We, we're always like, oh, we're going to get copyrighted. And then we're like, no, we're not big enough for that. We're fine. I don't think it's worth coming after us. So what got you into podcasting? Like what got you interested to start one for yourself? I think I've been thinking about this a lot since we've had some of our conversations. And I've told you briefly, you know, like my dad growing up would tell us all these stories about different cryptids or aliens or um, he's a big sci-fi movie guy. And we're from West Virginia. And Mm -hmm. so one of the big stories that my dad used to tell us a lot was about the wampus cat. And I briefly mentioned that to you, but it's basically like a Native American tale of a woman who becomes a cat creature, essentially. And my dad swears up and down to this day that he has seen the wampus cat. It was a running joke in our family growing up. Like when we heard weird noises outside, my dad would always jokingly say like, oh, better be careful. Like it's probably the wampus cat. It's like those fearsome critter lumberjack tall tale type of Yeah, things. yeah. And so it was just a thing growing up that kind of, it was an ongoing joke that we'll still say to this day. And so between that and, you know, we, we would have campfires growing up all the time. And so he, my dad was really into telling us scary stories about the mad squirrel or the wampus cat or like all the creatures that are lurking out in the woods that are around our house. I think I just got very interested in that part of it and like, well, why couldn't these be real? Like what else out there that you know started as a campfire story but has grown and is now like a big legend like big cryptid like Bigfoot or Mothman I mean the Flatwoods Monster again we're from West Virginia so all of these were huge to be honest when you were telling me like my dad would uh, talk about uh, talk these stories about creatures that live around us and I'm like oh is it Braxy is it Mothman is it Sheep Squatch (laughs) no it's the Wampus Cat the Wampus Cat we we did we got a little of everything though because the Flatwoods monster is when we would take road trips to like southern West Virginia we'd go through Flatwoods all the time or at least past it so every time we'd go past we'd have a big debate on what was the Flatwoods monster you know we would talk about the story where it came from does the town sign have the monster on it I think so there's a big thing too that they have a bunch of like we call them like Adirondack chairs. I don't know how to describe them. Yeah, They're I saw like those wooden. on the internet. Yeah, they've like painted them like that. So there's a bunch of those around town as well. And it's like, if you take a picture with each of them, they'll they'll give you like a sticker at City Hall or something 
crazy like that. <laughs> it's they really try to push the narrative. Yeah, and then further down is Sutton with the Flatwoods Museum. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we'd go past it all the time. I don't know. I just think it's funny because I feel like that's all they're they're trying to push like what they're known for. And I feel like I'm all about that because I think it's hilarious and I love cryptid. So I'm like, yeah, our community is not known for anything except for like this giant alien that could be an owl kind of thing. So that's why you should visit. I don't know why. I think it's hilarious. Did you visit Point Pleasant often or are you more like towards Flatwoods? We're a little more towards Flatwoods, but I have been to Point Pleasant. We actually would visit there when we could. My sister and I played a lot of sports. And so when we were down that way, once again, my dad was like, you know what? We're going near Point Pleasant. We're going to stop at the Mothman Museum. We're going to stop at the statue. Like this is the type of road trip we're going to take. It's through all of the cryptid lands, I guess. So we've been there a couple times, but not regularly because we don't live as close to there. Yeah, yeah. So all this cryptid stuff, is this what, you know, brought you to eventually study biology or is there another side of that? I think yes and no. Um, I've always been, I've always been an animal person. I don't love talking to people. (laughs) I mean, I'm the same. I'm the same. (laughs) Right, right. So a lot of career paths that were more me working with people I was like I don't know I don't think I'd be good at that um and so when I was younger I started you know volunteering at animal shelters and then I worked at a vet and so it kind of just became this thing where like yeah I'll go into biology and then I'll do something with animals and I think that in a roundabout way cryptids kind of got me on that track because I mean a lot of the cryptids are rooted in some type of animal and so I always was like well why couldn't they be real? Like, why couldn't the wampus cat be real? Or is it just, you know, a bobcat or a mountain lion? Or is Bigfoot just some, you know, chimpanzee that has been able to live out in the woods of the United States forever that we just haven't been able to figure out. Yeah, and there, there's this like looming idea of maybe there are other sentient creatures other than people. And if you're already a person who does not like people, um, yeah. th- this idea attracts you. Right, exactly. I was like, I like the idea of this more than, you know, <laughs> hanging out with people, which is sad, but it's true. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm the same. Like I was a weird kid growing up and... Is that one of your cats now? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, two of my cats just yeah, got we, in a fight. We, I apologize. We, no, no worries. We we have uh, guests on the show as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Wampus Cat. Oh, Wampus Cat. How gracefully you've pounced right into our recording completely unannounced. With your six legs, you jumped high up in the air landed on Caitlin's laptop like you just don't care. You overheard us talking about your cryptid friends, wanting us to acknowledge your existence, but that really depends whether you're just a bobcat or a lumberjack tall tale. But you have just exposed yourself, so your legend may prevail. Oh, West Virginian cryptid, so magnificent and fierce. Even though we chased you off, we kept hearing your bells inside our ears. 
So uh, growing up, I was also a weird kid, but I was not, you know, a nature kid. I wasn't, I lived on concrete, basically. I, I didn't live yeah. in, in the woods, but my mom would, you know, feed the, this intrigue and curiosity in me by reading me books about dinosaurs and animals and stuff like that. So even as a young kid, I would take from the school library these books that are not from my, for my age Yeah, and just sift through them. Now, eventually, because my mom, I relate to how you found out about cryptids through your dad because my mom introduced me to stuff like Ripley's Believe It or Not. I know you're mm-hmm. aware of that. Was it yeah. a part of your childhood as well? Yes, actually. We, um, I remember I was obsessed with like Ripley's Believe It or Not and like <laughs> it's cliche, but like the Goosebumps books. Yeah, yeah. Obsessed with those. And I specifically remember one time my family took a vacation to Niagara Falls, which is in Canada. I was living in Canada. Yeah, I know that museum I visited a few times. Yeah, we, they pretty much were like trying to plan out what we wanted to do. And usually we each get a say. And I was like, I have to go to this Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum. Like, this is all I want to do. The waterfalls are fantastic, but can we please go there? And I mean, my parents have always been this sort to be like you know what sure like let's do it like let's indulge your crazy interests for Ripley's believe it or not I mean we all loved it it was it was really fun but do you remember how old you were maybe then oh goodness um I had been pretty young probably middle school so like yeah Yeah, I remember maybe you remember the Ripley's believe it or not museum in Niagara Falls was in the shape of a a tower that has fallen and had it had King Kong on its side yeah that's right yeah and do you remember like right beside it was an alien museum no i don't remember that one so you maybe uh visited later on the alien museum turned into a serial killer museum after that (laughs) they had wax figures of jeffrey dahmer with his fridge and stuff like that i was probably a little too young for my parents to take me into that one just yet oh yeah (laughs) yeah. Uh, back when when that was an alien museum i never went there because i was very young um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but there was this guy always in front of the museum dressed as a gray alien but very tall and you you could take pictures with him that was so cool that's hilarious i'm 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 jealous i want to (laughs) go i also remember from the ripley's museum if you can remember when you're exiting the museum there's this tunnel and when you go through the tunnel it creates this illusion with sound like you're spinning inside your head oh no i don't remember that sometimes when it's the spinning stuff i close my eyes yeah my family's a huge fan of haunted houses so i think that's another reason why i was big on like the ghost side of things Mm -hmm. but at a lot of the end of haunted houses it's like the tunnel that spins and you're trying to walk straight but it's the optical illusion that you're moving it was exactly that right right we would always close our eyes and like try to walk as fast as we could um so we didn't fall over so i probably i probably skipped that part in my head (laughs) so when when i was a kid like i grew up in um canada Mm -hmm. but i am from bosnia and herzegovina and i live in my homeland now i spent my childhood in canada where i was exposed to this stuff this yeah American nonsense, as people yeah. would say. Um, sure, whatever. But yeah, I, I brought that nonsense uh, with, with myself back here. Cryptids and aliens and UFOs. I love it. Yeah, yeah we, I don't know. I think my, my dad was big on cryptids. He he swears he's seen UFOs before. So that got me on the aliens thing. And then my mom and I, my mom and I used to watch true crime documentaries together. Not when I was younger, younger. Yeah. But just 
you know, like the Casey Anthony cases. We watched the whole Scientology, uh, Leah Remini and Scientology oh, man. Sh- show should together. I, should I edit this out now? Uh, I'll get soon. <laughs> I don't know. We'll just mention it. We'll just mention it. But she, I, uh, my parents, again, are very supportive. So I think my sister and I, we kind of, you know, were kind of interested in these things because our parents were. And then they would, you know, watch it with us and we would have discussions about it and talk about different things. And so that kind of led into me continuing to want to talk about it, even now that I don't live with them. So yeah, and I think that that's such a cool occurrence of people being getting into this stuff via their parents, Mm -hmm. because there is a part of people who, you know, started getting interested in cryptids and things via their parents or their relatives who introduced them. But there is another side of people who grew up in maybe very conservative, very Christian uh, families and and then interest in true crime, interest in the paranormal and cryptids is kind of a taboo. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I knew some people like that and they were some of our best friends, but they were basically on the opposite end of the spectrum from us growing up. Like their parents are very religious. They didn't celebrate, you know, Halloween or anything like that. And I understand sometimes where they're coming from. I don't know. I always like to take the fun in things though. So yeah. Um, that's where we kind of differed on that that point. So I, I don't know if this was a part of your childhood, but okay, we have similarities with the interest in Ripley's Believe It or Not. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up, it was, you know, the early 2000s, though I call myself a 90s kid because <laughs> Canada was at the time still, you know, in the 90s, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, the TV programs I'd be watching were from the 90s. I even watched X-Files and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, the Goosebumps show as well with the Mm -hmm. creepy music. So I'd go on the internet in the early days of the internet and stumble upon, you know, these GeoCities websites about aliens and stuff like that. Um, I'd go on Cryptozoology.com, which had a great forum. I was on that Mm -hmm. forum a lot. I was on Unexplained Mysteries forum like every single day from 2004 to maybe 2008. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if if you were um, going on to those forums as well back then. I think that... It's funny. I think that this is where I sometimes think that I lack in the research part of things because I never really went on those forums and things. Mm -hmm. I was more the person that went to YouTube and would type in like top 10 scariest ghost sightings or top 10, top 20 like cryptid sightings on the road. Yeah, the clickbaity stuff. Right, right. And like the awful videos of of things that are probably (laughs) fake, but I believed them wholeheartedly. And that was very much what I was into. Not like not the website parts where I'm reading things. It was more of like the videos of the grainy footage of like something on the side of the road that's probably a deer, but like we'll never know. Since you're mentioning YouTube like that was probably much later than what I'm describing for my own self. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, The whole point of this podcast, like once I learned that you also have a biological background and you are into cryptids i'm like man we we should make a show where 
we're just two biologists talking about how how we got interested in this stuff mm-hmm. because it's fascinating like through the generations how how people have been exposed to this stuff like i've been exposed a bit earlier than you but via forums because that was the thing back then but you right, were right. say via youtube because that was you know the thing at that yeah. time oh yeah i think i mean you know when i was growing up we <laughs> had a shared home computer so i didn't spend as much time on the computer as i do now obviously i'm you know making podcasts and researching and all that stuff. But yeah, YouTube was a huge thing for me. And I I used to watch, you mentioned Unexplained Mysteries. I think that was the website you mentioned. I'm not sure. There was a show. Yeah, I was like, I I used to watch the show every once in a while. I was also fascinated with the show I Survived, Mm -hmm. um, which is more true crimey, but there were a couple. <laughs> there's one specifically that I still. I watched this way too young. There's still a story that I remember to this day of a man who got attacked by an orangutan. Oh man! And I'm still terrified of orangutans to this day. And I work in a zoo, so everybody always wants to work with chimps, and I'm like, <laughs> I'd I'd rather not. But I I would watch that, and I, I dabbled in that a little bit on the TV as well, but but not too much. Now that you mention, you know, an orangutan attack, I remember you did an episode with your sister on Travis, yeah, the chimpanzee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and now I'm thinking, oh man, how it must have been terrifying for you to even research <laughs> yes. that because even I think you listened to the uh, police call. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. It. I after I watched that episode of I Survived, and I'd been watching this for forever. And I don't know if my parents knew I was watching this or not, but I was home alone because I'd go home alone after school, and I'd turn on the TV and I'd watch I Survived, which is terrible of me as a child. But I was totally fine, you know. I watched stuff about break-ins, about people being kidnapped, about you know people being held at gunpoint. And I was like, this is fine, I can deal with this. And then there was the one about the orangutan attack, and I called my mom and I was like, I feel like I'm going to be attacked by a monkey in my home in West Virginia where there are no monkeys. <laughs> but you have Bigfoots, you have sheep squatches. <laughs> exactly. So then I'm like, well, who knows what's out there that's going to come after me? And so the the Travis the chimpanzee one, now that I work at a zoo and we don't have larger primates, it's mostly like small tamarins and lemurs. So nothing mm-hmm. too bad to worry about. But it, it did kick in that fear again. And I went into work and I was like, you know, these lemurs are small, but like they they could probably bite a chunk of my face off. Yeah. And I there was about there was a couple of days after I did the research and recorded when I went into work and I was like, I'm a little more hesitant than I was before. <laughs> I'm all good now though. How long have you been working with animals? Um, I've been at the zoo for three years now two three years so i am currently like doing research into a future episode about man-eating horses (laughs) because there there have been historical you know cases of horses eating meat and even killing humans and eating humans now do you have any like weird stories of animals just acting strangely and what we don't expect from animals because i imagine if you've been working for three years with animals you know how fucked up they can be. (laughs) Yeah, I think that I don't know if I've had any personal experiences at the zoo that was like, oh my god, that was crazy. But there I mean, there's so many other stories out there from zoos that you know, that are horrifying. Yeah. But I think working with animals 
keeps me grounded in the fact that I know that they're animals, that they're wild animals. Yeah, so you don't romanticize them, you don't idealize them. Exactly. Yeah. So we have like snow leopards, for example, that I work with, and we we don't have free contact with them, so we don't go in with them or anything like that. But sometimes we'll I'll play with them and like run around their caging and they'll kind of chase me and I'm like, haha, this is fun. And then it'll hit me like if there wasn't a fence here, this would not be a game to them. And so I think, oh, hold on one second. My cat is no problem. trying to, <laughs> I have a window seat above my desk and she decided that she wanted to sit in that, but she had to walk across my computer to get there. But when I research some of these stories or you talking about man eating horses, I'm like, well, honestly, some of the crazier things like that doesn't surprise me as much as I think it would other people. Just because working with animals, I'm like, you know what? They're going to do what they can to survive. And that kind of makes sense in the end to me. Yeah, and in the zoo, I mean, no zoo can be ideal. And you have these animals in captivity in pretty artificial conditions. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I did a whole episode for Darwin's Deviations about, you know, the dark side of otters. Mm -hmm. And me, you may know already what they do. I'm not going to get into that, but... Let's see what they do in zoos. There have been cases of them eating a uh, uh, golden lion tamarind, for instance, mm -hmm. which is an endangered species. But oh, yeah. I think in Brazil, there was this case where uh, six otters attacked a kid uh, who somehow found himself, you know, in their enclosure. And a mm -hmm. police officer went inside to rescue this kid and the otters killed the police officer and ate him. Oh my gosh, I haven't heard this story. Now I got to research it. Yeah, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna send you something then. Yeah, yeah, I was like, send me the link. I want to know about this. So hey guys, I just wanted to provide some more details on this case because it is very hard to find information on this particular incident because most of the original sources are in Portuguese as this happened in Brazil. So the reason I ever found out about this case is because Smithsonian Magazine had an article about, you know, the dark side of otters and it briefly mentioned this case and stated it happened in 1978. But I did some digging and found the talk page of the giant otter page of Wikipedia. And uh, the otters in question were the giant otter, the largest otter species that lives in the Amazon River Basin in Brazil. So this happened actually in 1977, specifically the 28th of August, based on the original news reports. This happened in Brasilia Zoo, and the person who was killed was Brazilian Army Sergeant Silvio Delmar Hollenbach. So it was not a police officer. Now, he died trying to save a boy whose name was Adilson Florencio da Costa, sorry if I pronounced that wrong, who was 13 years old and fell into the giant otter's enclosure. Now, the sergeant uh, tried to save the boy and was himself attacked by the otters and died two days later of generalized infection in the hospital. They stated that he had more than 100 bites from six giant otters. Then the zoo changed their name from Jardim Zoológico de Brasilia, uh, I don't know Portuguese, to Jardim Zoológico de Brasilia Sargento Silvio Del Mar Hollenbach. 
So the zoo changed its name essentially to uh, the name of the sergeant who died in the uh, giant otter enclosure. Now, an interesting tidbit, uh, this talk section on Wikipedia was written by somebody who is a local. And this person states that they do live in Brasilia and they can tell that many people go there to the poor otters so they can take a look at such evil bastards, in quotation marks. This person says, I've even tried to stop one guy who was throwing pebbles at them. They sure have a bad reputation here, mostly by being the sordid antagonists of a full-blown hero who was the city's own. That was, you know, the sergeant who was killed. It's sad since a four-hours car trip takes you to the Araguaia River, where you can see these amazing creatures in their natural habitat. So yeah, uh, the Smithsonian Magazine article went into this blowing up uh, into a whole mythology and essentially sparking antagonism of the local population towards the giant otters and people even, you know, started killing them in their natural habitat. So yeah, uh, I will provide some kind of links in my episode description now. Now, if this was too dark for you, well, here's a silly little advertisement. Greetings, starseeds. It is I, the all-knowing alien, channeling this message for you. Our oracle deck lands Kickstarter 5-1-2022 Join us today at Celestial Alien Oracle Instagram Yeah, it's animals can be very scary. And I think maybe this does also tie back into the cryptid thing. Like people talk about, you know, cryptids because they're they're almost more than animals. Like they're more scary than regular animals, right? Because they have like a supernatural or paranormal kind of essence behind them. But I think working with animals, I'm like, you know what? These animals can be just as terrifying. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you. Like, what do you think? uh, What's scarier, real animals or cryptids? I personally think real animals are a little more scary because I know for sure they're real and I work with them on a daily basis. So, you know, there are times at work that I'm like, this could get out of hand very quickly. I think now there are not many cases of people being attacked or killed by cryptids. But then again, if you think about it, maybe they did not uh, live enough to tell the tale. That's true. That's true. Maybe I'm being naive here. Maybe cryptids are scarier. I just take it for granted that I probably won't come in contact with them as often as regular animals. So I don't know. It's kind of a toss up. I think regular animals are a little scarier just because there's more of a chance that we're going to run into them. Yeah. So thinking about it now, if if I had anybody else who's a biologist on the show, the the topic of cryptids would very quickly go down the skeptical route, you know. So I'm amazed at your ability to, you know, be a biologist and work with animals and know how, you know, real animals behave, you know, the reality and the materialism of their existence. And you are still enthusiastic and optimistic about cryptids as well. Yeah, I think... <laughs> 
I don't know. I think it's more fun to believe that there could be something else out there. So I tend to lean towards like the, well, why couldn't there be? Like, why not? I like the idea. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a huge, huge believer in like the paranormal and things like that, obviously. So I'm like, why, why couldn't there be something else out there? Why are we putting restrictions on ourselves that, you know, every noise we hear is a bobcat or is a mountain lion or is, you know, an owl? Why couldn't it? be the Flatwoods monster, an alien invasion, nobody can explain it. Like, I don't know. I think it's more fun to have that even if it is just imagination. Yeah, yeah. So my next, that really like goes into my next question. Do you see cryptids as more of you know, material creatures or more paranormal creatures or more psychological manifestations or something like that? And like, if, if you think they're real creatures, like, what kind of percent of them could be actual creatures? Man, I don't know. That's a good question. I think that I think that most cryptid stories that we have talked about, like my sister and I have discussed on our podcast at least, mm -hmm. there is some sort of explanation as to well, it probably wasn't a cryptid, just I mean, out of obviously gobble squatch. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. That one's a big one. Yeah. And, and it's just like out of fear or out of whatever these people have made up this story, made it bigger than what it was, because they're scared because their mind is telling them like, this is a terrible situation. You know, this is bigger than just, you know, a small animal that we can run away from or whatever. So I don't know. I don't know what what it could be. I think I've never really thought about it because I think I'm yeah. leaving it open to whatever. I love, like, the crazier the stories, the better, in my opinion. So it could be anything. <laughs> you know, I obviously play around with the idea of Braxy being an owl with my podcast. It's even in the logo. There's an mm. owl casting the shadows of Mothman and Braxy right on my yeah. logo. Now, I have been very open about the fact that I think it was a great horned owl. Yeah. But I am still not a skeptic. I'm still not a debunker, you know. Mm -hmm. I still love the idea of this being something else, but it is something else to us. Yeah. And I think it is of great value that people interpret nature in different ways and perceive reality in different ways and create these mythologies. And an owl is one thing in nature, you know, materially, but it can be very many different things to many different people. It can exist in different dimensions. That's how I see all this. Even though yeah. I don't believe in them being, you know, material monsters, they're more psychological monsters. Right, right. It's just the, I think it's fascinating that we can take something like an owl and out of one situation, it becomes this bigger than life thing. It's now, you know, out there forever, pretty much this mythological being, you know, the Braxy monster, Flatwoods, whatever we're talking about. It's just out there now. And it's, it's just so fascinating. Yeah, like debunkers want to say, oh, it's just an owl move right along. Nothing to right. see here. Right. But I'm saying, yeah, it is just an owl, mm -hmm. but it transcended into more. It right, created exactly. a whole mythology. There were books made on it. A guy opened a museum. And I know my previous episode was kind of critical. <laughs> hey, hey, it's okay. <laughs> hey, it's right. hey, I have you from West Virginia. You're here yeah. too. <laughs> to bring glory back to the Flowers yeah. Museum. <laughs> but yeah, it's amazing that a person, the guy who owns the museum, I heard him on podcasts. He's such a cool guy. And mm -hmm. 
you know, he was touched by this mythology and opened the museum. It's like a fan shrine. Right. You know, it's it touched you and then you visit the museum and you're inspired by this. So mm-hmm. I'm inspired by it and I'm, you know, half the world over. So <laughs> right, it's, right. it's magnificent how this dumb little owl transcended in, in such a way that even somebody on the other side of the world is touched by it like 70 yeah. years later. Right, right. And I think I think that's where why I still continue to love cryptids. I love the idea that they're they're bigger than what they were now. It's just fascinating to me. And I think that I think that's why I personally like the Flatwoods Monster Museum a little more than some other people. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's like, I don't know how to explain it. I'm from West Virginia. So we don't get a lot of, you know, good press, obviously, which you guys talked wonderfully about West Virginia, um, which I I, very I appreciate it a lot. Is that sarcasm or not? No, no, that's for real. I think... So listeners, um, Caitlin here messaged me after listening to that episode and she said, wow, I learned so much about West Virginia. And I said, yeah, you are from West Virginia and you learned a lot from a guy who is from Georgia and another guy, me, who is half the world over talking about your state. It's another perspective now, you know, another... uh, You guys have, you know, differing thoughts because you're not from here. Yes. I think I... I love everything, even if it's not the best, like the the Flatwoods Museum. I think I still love it because it's just a small town in West Virginia and they've decided to make a museum and it's not the best, but you know, you've heard about it. So it doesn't need to be the best. Like we talked last night. Like I told you, I like podcasts which are very indie, which are not, you know, high production and stuff like that. I I listen to your podcast not because I want high production value from you, but because you and your sister are entertaining and you're providing something authentic and genuine. Yeah. It's like I'm listening in to to a conversation between two sisters who are having fun. Yeah, that's what we try to make it. You're not acting. You're you're just recording your genuine interaction. Yeah, and I think, I don't know, I that stuff like that, like you, it, it holds a special place in my heart because it's just it's more fun. Like you said, it's authentic. It's, it's people just wanting to like something that may be a little bit crazy to other people, but it's still fun. And like, why not? Why not have a Flatwoods Monster Museum? Why not make, you know, a small podcast just for fun? It's just something to do. No, stop. Hold on. My cat's (laughs) eating my headphones. (laughs) I told you animals are monsters. I know. It's like, try to have a good conversation i look down my equipment's being ruined i mean the headphones are a gateway drug first it's your headphones then it's your head <laughs> right exactly oh no now i'm terrified he might have to grow a little bit the one that's trying to eat it's our smallest cat i think i mean I, uh, <laughs> I talked with autopsy podcast a bit about this uh he worked as you know a death investigator and stuff like that and mm-hmm. i asked him like did you ever have cases where somebody died you know, of natural causes, but there were pets in their home. I'm not going to go further into that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, if they're not getting fed anymore, it's, you know, they turn back to their natural instincts and that's going to be to get, you know, their whatever they need from wherever they can. I read about that relating more to dogs. I don't know about cats, but like it's your dog sees that something is wrong with you. I mean, mm-hmm. you're dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, he, he, senses, something wrong, yeah. he senses something is wrong and he tries 
first biting you to see if you'll react. And then he gets worried and emotionally distressed and keeps biting and biting. And then the, you know, natural instinct kicks in where he just can't stop biting and eating. Mm-hmm. But it's sparked because of a genuine emotional reaction towards the owner. And then, you know, it just triggered this animalistic instinct. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, the domesticated animals, that's probably what's going to happen. <laughs> I don't know. When you said that, I just was thinking like, maybe that's why I like cryptids so much, because I think that I could make an emotional connection with them if I ever met them. Probably impossible, but I would love to befriend Bigfoot if I could. Also, now, like, you know that you have three cats in your apartment and knowing what I just told you, you're not going to be able to sleep as snug as a bug in a rug after <laughs> no, this episode. Definitely not. I have actually started uh, kicking them out of my room to sleep um, so they don't wake me up. So I think I might be okay if they can't figure out how to open my door. <laughs> Yeah, man, this is why I had you on the show. Like not not many people would be willing to just sit with me and go into these random tangents and me telling them your cat's gonna eat your face. I love it. You know, why not? Good for my cats. You know, if I'm not around anymore to help support them. Yeah, that's I I like cats more than dogs, but I'm allergic to both. My mom has a cat. I can't pet it, you know, but I like observing it. I love cats because they are uh, self-sufficient and independent. Oh, absolutely. I have for the longest time I have had a pet fish and that was about as um, crazy as I'd go. And then when I got my own apartment, I was like, I'm going to get a cat. And I was like, anything above that that needs more work? Don't want it. That's so funny because you're you're a zookeeper. So your I, job is to take care of animals and then you come back home and you're like, oh, I had enough of this job. I'm not yeah, going to do this at home. Exactly. You don't want to bring the work back with you, you know, to home yeah. where you relax. I had a I had a friend before and her mom was a cook. She she worked as that mm-hmm. in restaurants, but yeah. at home she would cook the most god awful mess because she <laughs> she just didn't feel like cooking ever at home. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, you just don't feel like it. I totally get it. That's I think maybe that's why sometimes I don't do we don't do as many cryptid stories or animal stories because I I work with them all the time and then I come home and I'm like, well, let's let's try some true crime this week or some ghost stories instead. That makes sense. Like I learned through just a few episodes by just picking up, you know, these random tidbits about you that you work at a zoo and then I asked mm-hmm. you. And I'm like, dude, when we were chatting like, dude, you should totally talk more about that. And you're like "Eh." (laughs) yeah yeah it's i don't know i like it i i try to people have very polarizing opinions on zoos so i guess i try to keep it out of our main podcast hey you're you're not working you're not working at marine land yeah that's very fair (laughs) that's very fair we try i try my best we try our best that's all i can say i don't know i i i don't like to shed poor light on zoos so i stay away from i don't know we've only done really like one animal attack i guess travis the chimpanzee the rest are more yeah mythological but creatures so. if travis was at the zoo none of that would have happened and that's true and people like maybe it's been 30 minutes since we mentioned travis and you don't know what the fuck that is <laughs> so travis the chimpanzee was it in connecticut was it yeah I think so. Yeah, this lady named Sandra, I don't know her last name, kept Travis uh, since he was a child as a chimpanzee Mm -hmm. in her her home. Not as a pet, but as a child. Yeah. And one day she gave him Xanax or something like that, though she denied that. Mm -hmm. And this affected his brain. And uh, one of her uh, friends came over uh, with a new haircut 
Her name was yeah, Charlene Ash. Mm-hmm. She took Travis's Tickle Me Elmo like to entertain him or something. And then he just pounced on her and ripped her face off. And yeah. It. yeah. It goes back to those animal instincts. I'm telling you, they animals are going to revert back to, I mean, you can try to domesticate them all you want, but like even cats, you know, if they don't like something, they're still going to attack you. And we're like, oh, that's cute, whatever. Like it doesn't hurt because it's a small cat. And then when people take pets in, you know, that are chimpanzees or something a little bit stronger, you know, even dogs, you're not careful, you know, any little thing that spooks them and they could go off. And I think that's why. I mean, this is a very sad story because Travis mm-hmm. did not know what he was doing. He was under yeah. the influence of drugs. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I heard, like, I read somewhere that Xanax actually does the opposites for chimpanzees than to humans. Yeah. And I think he was, he was like really old too. So I think he just you know everything mixed together he was confused he was old he didn't know what was happening and it just yeah it just turned out to be unfortunate for all parties involved yeah and charlie even went on to sue her friends because mm-hmm. of all the reconstructive surgery and everything yeah oh yeah it was it was terrible this reminds me like i a few episodes ago ago i talked about the kunigator but i mostly talked about raccoons because there's not much info on the kunigator <laughs> right and i i went into research of rac- raccoons there are a lot of raccoon populations in uh, germany and in japan And now that we're talking about, you know, you need to know what animal can be a good pet. So in Japan, there was some kind of cartoon or something a few decades ago, which had a raccoon as the main protagonist. And then Mm -hmm. raccoons became so popular in Japan that a lot of people wanted to buy them as pets. So they, (laughs) you know, imported raccoons from America. And once these people realize that raccoons don't make the best pets because you (laughs) you can't domesticate them, they just, you know, threw them out in the wild. And now you have wild populations of raccoons. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What's funny, they have tanukis. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So now you stumble upon a raccoon, you can think it's a tanuki because the tanuki is a Japanese species. Yeah. like yeah we've talked about those before it's very close to a raccoon so people if you don't know if you don't work with animals you don't do your research it's crazy i had a friend at the zoo that i worked with who he came to me and he was like caitlin i am thinking about proposing to my girlfriend and i was like oh my god that's fantastic like i don't know you very well but congratulations and he was like i was thinking about getting a ring and getting her a raccoon and putting the ring on the raccoon's collar like you would with a dog and then presenting it to her like that and i was like i mean where are you gonna get this raccoon (laughs) and where you're gonna get a raccoon that does not have rabies (laughs) I was like, he was like, what do you think? And I'm like, I personally wouldn't do that. But (laughs) I, I mean, you can't stop people from doing crazy stuff. So I was like, it's very bad for the animals themselves. You know, ferrets, have you ever heard that female ferrets, once they get into estrus, if they don't have sex? they can die. No, I've never heard of this. So once they go into estrus, their body needs to have, you know, sexual intercourse in order to uh, regulate the hormone levels. 
Interesting. If they don't have sex, then uh, they essentially die of estrogen poisoning. Oh, interesting. Okay. I've never heard of this. I know, I know like ferrets and other animals, you're supposed to keep, I mean, this is partly probably why, like you're not supposed to have just one. You're supposed to have like a group of them so they can, you know, there's their social behaviors become normal and things like that. But I wonder if that's part of it as well. I wonder, like the only logical thing I can conclude is if you want to have a female ferret as a pet, then you should probably sterilize it so it does not go yeah. into estrus. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, you should do that with all your pets so you don't have groups of raccoons now uh, outside your door. Yeah. <laughs> groups of ferrets running <laughs> around. So also something that I don't go into a lot on my show because I'm more about monsters, aliens, and entities, mm-hmm. ghosts and hauntings. Like that that never really interested me much, but I know <laughs> it's a big part of your um, podcast. And you yeah. have a lot of these stories with your sister, especially ghosts that she sees at her workplace. Yes, we are big. Okay, we are big ghost believers. I have never, I'm going to put this out here right now. I've never seen a ghost. Mm-hmm. I've never had an experience with a ghost. So I can't, you know, confirm or deny strongly that they are real. I believe in them. But my family growing up, my dad, again, this is coming from my dad, his parents' house, everybody in on his side of the family claims up and down that their house was haunted and that they have had experiences in that house. So long story short, the previous owner supposedly passed away in the house. I'm not sure. I mean, everybody has a different story, so I don't know. But there is one room in particular that people have seen the closet door open or they've, my uncles thought they heard, you know, their kids talking it, but then when they open the door, you know, the lights are out and nobody's talking. And he was like, that's impossible. They wouldn't have been able to turn out the light in 10 seconds. You know, the sewing machines turned on and off by itself, different things like that. So that was one of those things where it was again, just an ongoing joke in our family. When we would go over, my dad would be like, well, be careful when you go upstairs because, you know, like the house is haunted. There are ghosts up there. <laughs> I, I would love if your dad was my dad. <laughs> my dad w- w- is into conspiracy theories and I'm just like, oh, man. <laughs> You're like, no, no, please pick ghosts instead. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he would. My grandpa got into it. We did a. My best friend and I, growing up for high school, did a project on. It's an older house, like my grandparents' house, and um, we had a historical project on those types of houses. They were actually built for the New Deal, which was during the Great Depression. The Roosevelts basically put this thing together where they gave people jobs to build houses, and then they would give them the houses essentially. And that happens in West Virginia. Yes, I think it. I think there was more than one place. I don't know a lot about it. History is not mm-hmm. my strong suit, but Arthurdale is the place you can look it up. My my grandparents volunteer at a place called Arthurdale Heritage. So it's, I mean, you can find it on the internet. It's just a very, very small thing. Long story short, we went to do a project at my grandparents' house because it was one of the houses and my grandpa had gone up, mind you, he's in his 80s at this point, mm-hmm. climbed up into his attic tied a string to his attic door, fed it out the attic window, down the house, 
through a window to his rocking chair down like on the first floor where he sits all the time. Okay. And as part of our project, we thought it'd be funny to do like a little ghost tour because the house is supposedly haunted. Mm-hmm. And it's me, my dad and my mom and my friend. And we went upstairs to kind of record and talk about, you know, when the house was built, who was there, why there's probably ghosts or whatever. And my grandpa unbeknownst to us started pulling on that string. So the attic door was opening and closing on its own. And we freaked out. And my (laughs) mom and my friend ran down the stairs. And I tried to run down the stairs. But you say you you wish your dad was like my dad, my dad grabbed my arm and would not let me run away. Because he was like, this is our one opportunity, we got to find out if this is a real ghost. Oh, man. So so that that was a hoax, not on you, but on your father by his his father yes Ah. yes and i mean we figured it out then but i was like this is terrifying my dad made us sit in the dark and ask the ghost questions on an evp that he had gotten we got him a ghost hunting kit for his birthday and so we've done all that shebang and stuff and i'm terrified of ever finding a ghost i would love to to know that they're real but then again i don't because i don't want to have that experience and yet your first experience was a hoax that you know is a hoax and yet (laughs) you still believe <laughs> right, right. Well, it's like, oh, why not? You know, I. Okay, so this opens up a whole tangent, a whole new dimension. I never went into ghosts <laughs> on this podcast, but from what I know, uh, do you know about the spiritualism movement in the 19th century? Uh, very briefly, yes. Th- those yes. seances where they would talk with spirits and make noises around, you know, the room in darkness and basically yeah. throw up gauze and say that it's ectoplasm. <laughs> yeah, quote unquote, make contact with spirits. Yes, yeah. I do know a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah, a lot of these mediums actually conducted hoaxes just like your grandfather. Yeah. <laughs> where they, you know, pull some strings, uh, tap with their feet under the under table. Table, stuff like that. Now, people would say, okay, this is all a hoax and it's a sham and it's a fraud. But what I think is that these people know that you need to spark an emotional reaction in order for something really paranormal to manifest. Mm-hmm. And the best way to spark an emotional reaction from a whole group of people is by instigating, you know, the, the reaction via these hoaxes. It's only so you may trigger the emotional reaction so the manifestation may feed off the reaction and so something paranormal actually may occur among mm-hmm. this, you know, fraudulent hoaxer stuff. Right. Now, a lot of people in the paranormal community just like to dismiss hoaxers and say that they're, you know, that they give the paranormal a bad rep. But I think hoaxers are a very important part of the whole paranormal phenomena. They are storytellers. They cause people to have these reactions. And I see the paranormal as, you know, something psychological, Mm -hmm. something manifesting out of our fears and emotions. And what better way to spark that in a group of people than by hoaxing first? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's like if you believe if you believe strong enough and hard enough, that reaction could actually create something to be there. And that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, like I'm thinking now that story you told now about your grandfather, like, I believe that was something that old timey people did regularly. Yeah. And just, you know, sparked these legends and myths and kept them alive because they would eventually contribute to manifesting the phenomena eventually. 
Yeah, I think that's a wonderful way to think about it. I I love that. I think I always when you talk about this, I always think about um, different shows that I've watched that are totally fake, but they have some sort of concept of like you believe it's real, so it forms that way. It's like we are all bound in some kind of a mental invisible cage that we form around ourselves, and mm-hmm. somebody just needs to push you out of that cage so yeah. you can think outside the box. Yeah, that's a great way to put it and so the hoaxers are important because they push you out of that box yeah yeah maybe sometimes very forcefully but (laughs) i mean how much how much do you believe in bigfoot um i mean i'm always on the fence of like i would love to think he's out there because why not i know that west virginia has a whole you know bigfoot lore and even in sutton like right (laughs) essentially right next to the flatwoods monster museum there's a new bigfoot museum open yeah (laughs) I think I'm I'm always the type of person that I'm not going to deny it because nobody has proved it's not real. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense. Are you aware of the Patterson-Gimlin footage of Bigfoot? The one where just Bigfoot is walking around waving its arms from the okay, 60s. Okay, okay. Yes, yes. Yeah. So there has been a lot of debate. This is very controversial, but like there have been books, there have been investigations on this and it was probably faked. It was a hoax. Right. People will now unsubscribe from my show. <laughs> but <laughs> It was real. <laughs> but that that does not mean that Bigfoot is not real if the most right. famous footage of it is is a hoax. Also, it does not mean that the hoax does not have any historical value because this hoax popularized Bigfoot, you know, in the pop culture. And now a lot of people are aware of Bigfoot because of this footage, because Mm -hmm. this footage is so ingrained into the social unconsciousness. More people know of Bigfoot, more people seek him out. Maybe eventually we do find Bigfoot, but we will find Bigfoot eventually only because we were inspired by something which was a hoax. And if that hoax was never, you know, perpetrated, then this would not have become such a big thing. Right. Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, it it causes people to either stand on the bandwagon of, oh, that was fake, so everything's fake. And other people are like, well, it looks real, so it could be real. And I think, like you were saying, it's important to have that debate because then it brings it to the forefront of people's minds to be like, well, why don't we actually look into this and research it so we can prove it one way or the other? Yeah, yeah. I think that's part of where my scientific mind comes from. I mean, we're biology majors. You know, the, the scientific method always comes to mind. I feel like that's kind of what we have to do to prove or disprove cryptids you gotta test the theories so we gotta talk about it we gotta go see if we can collect evidence you know come to a conclusion from that but what if these cryptids are sociological creatures not material creatures you know just like language try to prove language with science and materialism it's not something that you can touch or measure it's just something that exists within a social unconsciousness and spreads you know throughout societies throughout cultures evolves throughout time just like real creatures evolve but it it evolves on some other plane of existence language or greek mythology or stuff like that yeah i see what you're saying i think that like you were saying previously we still it still has to be brought forth to the forefront to figure out if it is real or if it is like a language like you're saying just in people's minds kind of thing just the legend of it is real and gets passed down yeah but even like if it is the legend that does not mean that 
it is not real, that would be just like saying art is not real or language is not real. You know, it's much more yeah. complicated than people want to give it credit. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's why we like it. That's why we talk about it so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we have debates about it. <laughs> we can talk about it in many from many different viewpoints. That's the, be right. the beauty of it. Like mm -hmm. if we're talking, so maybe the reason you never covered, you know, an animal or something biological on your show, even though you are a biologist right. is because you know that you have only one viewpoint of the thing because it is hard science. Mm -hmm. You only have the hard science. So you can only research that and talk about that one side. But with cryptids, you can talk about many different sides, right? You can have a debate. Talk about the different theories of what it is. Now, what interests me about biology, I already talked about this on many podcasts like the mythology before something was made legitimate in biological science like I, I mentioned in my last episode the zebra the zebra was possibly you know some kind of folkloric creature to many different Af african tribes before <laughs> european settlers uh came to conquer africa and then uncovered this striped horse and said oh right. we'll give it the name equus zebras or whatever it is now yeah. <laughs> so it's more fascinating to me how we you know interpret these creatures because the science of it is one-sided we know it but what came before that what inspired mm -hmm. people to do the science right, it, right it's lost to history i don't know that's why i find it so fascinating i guess my brain is i'm i always am trying to figure it out and so that's why i research about them and try to learn more about them how do you research cryptids like do you watch documentaries do you read books um it depends on the cryptid um a lot of times we're not super heavy on the research so most of the time it's just you know we're googling things on the internet trying to read different articles if we can find newspaper articles without having to pay for subscriptions then yeah. we'll do those <laughs> same with the books if i can find it we've watched a couple documentaries my sister for sure she did a story on the snallygaster which is also from west virginia it's supposedly like a pterodactyl like bean um she watched oh i don't know what the show was called but they were basically like bigfoot hunters but they had come to west virginia to try to find the snallygaster so she had watched a couple episodes of that yeah it was maybe mountain monsters or something like that on, yeah on yeah i think so that sounds right and <laughs> so we we've watched some things like that i feel like a lot of those shows are more dramatized like they're dramatic yeah, obviously yeah. um so you don't get as much information out of those but i do think it's funny to see what they have to say or what they quote unquote find so we do a little bit of everything so what is more more fun to you like obviously i see you cover true crime much more than cryptids what do you prefer to cover more? Is it more paranormal stuff or more true crime? Um, I think it depends for me. I think true crime is easier personally for me to write an episode about because it's very... It's not open to interpretation. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. When you do cryptids which i mean you might have had issues with this as well or you know ghost stories or legends there's so many different angles to it sometimes that once again you're researching forever unless you're picking one one thing one <laughs> and it's reason, so funny one story you're researching forever and yet at the end you got nowhere because nobody right. knows anything <laughs> right. about nobody this. knows <laughs> 
way, exactly. It's always like you tell a big elaborate story and then you're like, maybe at the end, like this could be it, maybe, but I'm not sure. <laughs> like recently your your sister hosted the episode on the Wolpertinger, mm-hmm. which is like mm-hmm. a, a jackalope, but in German folklore. And if mm-hmm. you go, I, I did an episode on the jackalope. So I went into that and I know this, like when you go into the lore of even the Wolpertinger, there is just so much. And like people don't even know what the Wolpertinger is. Like sometimes it can have horns. Sometimes it, it doesn't. Sometimes it has the body of a wood grouse. Sometimes the body of something else. In the end, you, you do all this research, all these various interpretations, and then you realize this is just a hoax taxidermy. Yeah. There's so much <laughs> lore tied around this, you know, people sewing up dead animals into a monstrosity right which is fascinating in its own way but it is sometimes it can be very frustrating i think that's why we try to do a different i always call them genres a different genre so you Mm -hmm. know ghost stories cryptids whatever every week because sometimes i personally get frustrated when i'm trying to research something or somebody will give me a suggestion i know my mom has given me suggestions before for cryptids and i'm trying to research it but then it's like it's called this but it also could be in a different country this or in a different country this and then you're just down a, a rabbit hole of trying to dig up well what what are all the similarities what should I put together should I mention every single name it has or all of its you know supernatural abilities where it came from so I think I get kind of um lost I get very lost <laughs> yeah because yeah, I don't I want to put again I want to put everything in there but I know I can't and in the end you have everything but in the end it's nothing <laughs> Right in the end, once again, it's like, maybe though, but we're not sure. You know, you have like more fun researching. And when you do the episode on a cryptid, you are allowed to have more fun with it because the stakes are not high. But if you do like true crime, I re-listen now to the episode that I suggested to you. And Mm -hmm. listeners, like I I reached out to Caitlin here. Was it like the first time I reached out? I just asked. I think so, yeah. yeah. I asked like, do you do suggestions? And she's like, sure. And I'm like, okay, go search Robert. Beckowitz. <laughs> Guys, don't search that I, on Google. No. Um, I think you... <laughs> You said that and then said, but don't look at the pictures. Yes. In the first Google search, it had all the pictures. And I was like, oh, well. <laughs> so it's a very, very brutal case of two people, a woman and a man, essentially killing a guy and having an orgy around his corpse that was so mm-hmm. drug fueled and they mutilated him. And this went on for two days and they took pictures of everything they did. So I was like wondering, hmm, let's see how you will do this case because your show is more, you know, funny. Uh, more entertaining and the episode was uh, very different you didn't yeah. have room to make such you know jokes about the case right right because when you do true crime it, it is more straightforward when you write the story but you're right you try to I mean we you want to be respectful and you don't I mean nobody really listens to our podcast but yeah you don't want to make too many jokes and sometimes <laughs> sometimes we will make jokes and then we very quickly are like but we're not laughing about the case we need to stop laughing yeah yeah when you do cryptids or some ghost stories or things like that it's or you know the legends myths whatever they might take a little longer research but you're absolutely right we can have more fun with it especially like i mean you mentioned the gobble squatch i mean that's a load of baloney i know i believe in i never a lot heard of, stuff, of that but before that's, but that yeah that that's that's nothing so that one 
I mean, you brought it up, but it, it was one of those ones where the whole time I was looking at Winnie, like, you cannot be serious. And we're just <laughs> laughing through the whole thing because it's so ridiculous. So I think there's pros and cons to both. That's why we try to switch it up so often so we don't oh, get stuck. I now remember, like, last night I was listening to your episode about giants, which is yeah. a huge thing now. You know, it, it popularized within the last few years in the paranormal cryptid community to talk about giants. And then you, because you're a biologist, you went into like, there were uh, giant sloths before and they evolved into, you know, little sloths now. So maybe like people were giant back then and evolved into smaller people. And I'm like, you are not aware of the whole, you know, seedy underbelly of giant research. So for the listeners, uh, the whole reason people are interested in giants in the, you know, archaeological community is because of creationism, because the Bible mentions giants and they want to, you know, make giants a real thing so they can prove the Bible and stuff like that. Though I don't see how that proves the Bible. It just proves that giants were real. (laughs) Right. Right. I think, yeah, sometimes uh, I definitely get stuck in my head, you know, with the the science brain, the biology brain. I'm like, why couldn't it be real? Why not? And then when you message me, I'm like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. You go the evolution (laughs) route, but the whole point of giants becoming a thing is to disprove evolution. (laughs) Right. Right. It's a whole big mess. Oh, my goodness. No, that yeah. that was so like that was so cute that moment. I was like, ah, <laughs> uh, she doesn't know. <laughs> nope, I do not. I didn't do the re- when when you messaged me that I was like, you know what? I have heard of that maybe, and that makes a lot of sense. And I just don't even. My brain doesn't even work that way. Like I just don't even. Do you know of the Cardiff Giant? Um, I don't. Maybe I okay. don't know. You'd have to refresh Th- this, my memory. I don't know like all the details, but this happened like in the very early uh, 1900s. Mm-hmm. Though I may be, be mistaken. So this guy who was an atheist paid somebody to basically create a fake giant statue and then he buried that in his yard and waited like a year or so to get people to uh, to pay people to dig up a well at that very same spot and they dug up this what they perceived to be a petrified giant and it became a whole giant thing like even scientists from universities were coming to examine the giant and it yeah. was being used as uh, by religious people as proof of, you know, giants being oh real and the Bible being real. And the right. guy who perpetrated the hoax, you know, came out and said, no, this is a hoax and, and your <laughs> giants and your Bible are not real. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's kind of funny. I'm not going to lie. That's one, that's one way to prove people are just making stuff up is to make up your own stuff and mm-hmm. then show your hand at the opportune I mean, the time. the gall this hi- this guy had to invest so much money and effort. I, that's a lot of work. Yeah. Plan this ahead. Like he buried this petrified fake giant and waited a whole year yeah. to organize the I house. bet every single day he's like, should I do it now? No, gotta wait. Gotta wait longer. I think he ended up selling it to P.T. Barnum or somebody similar. <laughs> and he, you know, in the end, he profited off his hoax. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I am sure. That's hilarious. 
Did you really like collect Ripley's Believe It or Not books or was it the museum that sparked your interest? We had a couple books. I wasn't like a huge collector, but I definitely had some. And I specifically remember like I'd go to the library or like our school's library and they would have some and I would check them out all the time. Like I didn't have every, you know, book that came out, but I definitely had a collection of those. And I had a huge collection of, you mentioned that you were a huge dinosaur fan. Did you Mm -hmm. ever have those books? I don't know what they were called. I have to look them up. But I think there might have been some on dinosaurs. They were like, oh my goodness. I like those old, uh, those old children's books on dinosaurs, which had that old timey art illustrations from like the 50s, which were so colorful and so world building. Like you can just look at this art and imagine the whole world within your head. Right, right. We, I had some of those, but it was more on like dragons. I had, um, I think we had some on dinosaurs too, but they were, you'd open the book and it was like, it had dragon scales in it and you would unfold a piece of paper and it have like an old etching of a dragon and it would explain all the different types of dragons. It was very much a... It was like a bestiary of dragons. Yeah, yeah, kind of. And I was obsessed with those. And I had some on a couple different... I think we had dinosaurs. I think there was there's dragons for sure. But yeah, it was that kind of thing. Have you ever read a Goosebumps book like after your childhood now as an adult? I have not read them, but I have watched the movies that have come out. Oh yeah, the movies. I yeah. I liked the movie. People don't like them, but you know, it's not to the nostalgia we feel towards those books from our childhood. Yeah, it yeah, it, it could have been a horrible movie and I still would have enjoyed it like yeah. that's <laughs> just because of the references <laughs> right exactly and we went and watched um scary stories to tell in the dark did you ever read those books uh i did not but i am aware of them yeah they had a those were more like paranormal creepy kind of stuff um we were very into those as children yeah, yeah. and the movie came out a couple years ago and i told whitney and jack i was like we're going to the premiere Mm-hmm. Like we're going as soon as it comes out and we watched it and I was terrified. And I'm like, this is supposed to be a children's movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I am now terrified. But you know, that's the beauty of it. You don't need R rated elements to make something scary. No, definitely not. <laughs> I, I have started reading Goosebumps books again as an adult now. Mm-hmm. It is a completely different experience now. And it takes me back to my childhood. Like I feel for these children, the protagonists of the books. I know the stakes aren't that high it is always the theme of uh, grown-ups not treating you seriously yeah and i go back to my childhood and i remember that feeling another series of books i liked was the bailey school kids i don't know if you're aware of that i am i was i didn't read a lot of those though i loved it like for the listeners probably you don't know but it was not very horror like the goosebumps it was about these school kids and every book is like werewolves don't go to summer camp or vampires don't wear polka dots or stuff like that. Like they have another teacher or a part of the school staff who comes like a new employee. And then the kids create this whole, you know, story of them being some kind of monster and look for, you know, weird things that these people do to prove that they're a monster or something. And in the end, it's always ambiguous. Like, were they a monster or was this just the children's imagination? We'll never know. Man, I need to write, I need to make a list now and I need to start reading these books again. <laughs> Go back to it. I'd like if there's a TV series of the Bailey School Kids. Like, imagine every episode some new school
school teacher or something, and they try to prove them being some kind of alien or monster. (laughs) (laughs) See, I think I'd believe it. I'm always on the camp of like, they were definitely a monster, like 100%, no doubt in my mind. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Caitlin, it was very nice, you know, having you today. I I was planning originally to do like some heavy biological stuff, but like, I I prefer just discussing with with people, you know, openly talking about topics that interest us without any prior preparation. (laughs) Absolutely. It's fun this way. So for the listeners, can you just share your um, socials and where they can find you? Sure. So our podcast is Bug in a Rug. If you go onto Twitter or Instagram, we are at B-I-A-R podcast. Um, We have a Facebook. It's Bug in a Rug. Our website, if you want to know, is bugandarug.podbean.com. Yeah, reach out to us if you want. I don't, we take suggestions. We're just a little slow (laughs) on getting them out there, but we would also just love to chit chat. Yeah, like uh, recently in some kind of, I think it's the Wolpertinger episode, you said like you need your fans to create some kind of jingle about cryptids. (laughs) So I I was like, I sent you the message like, sure, I'm going to do that. And this is before I went back to podcasting. So it it was, you know, kind of crazy. G and I, 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 I did a nursery rhyme like a Baba Black Sheep version of Bigfoot and stuff like that and sent it to you with, with music in the background. Yes. And when we, we were planning on, I'm still going to put them out there. Um, you sent me one and one of my best friends from high school who is a huge fan of our podcast, which I love, she sent us one too. And I keep saying the next time we do a cryptid episode, we're going to put it out there. Oh, we're just man. a little slow because we're doing every other week right now. So hopefully soon I'm, we will get I'm it out there. Not I'm not looking. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to that because I went back the other day, listened to that uh, clip I sent you. It is so cringy. <laughs> no, it's perfect. Listen, we're not a big podcast. Nobody's going to really hear it uh, anyway. So it's no, no. Like I did a whole podcast where I did stuff like that. I pulled off stuff, yeah. <laughs> but it's so funny without context, including it in one of your episodes, and then just you know being going poker face and just going on with the episode without any elaboration. What the heck <laughs> your listeners just listened to? That's just it. We try to keep our listeners on their toes, you know. Yeah. Try to keep them ready for anything. So thank you again for having this chat with me. I hope we'll chat again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I hope we'll do a proper episode about bugs and stuff like that. (laughs) I am up for it. Okay. Okay, guys, now for the plugs. And as always, I am not sponsored, though this first one, not really sponsored, but it's for a friend. So you already heard Christina's advertisement during this episode for her Celestial Alien Oracle deck. The links will be in my episode description. Please go follow her. Please support her project. This deck lands on Kickstarter on the 1st of May. So hurry up and see what rewards are being offered to you. Now, during this episode, uh, we mentioned a few museums and that just makes me so happy. So first off, if you are somebody who, like me and Caitlin, collected these Ripley's books and was obsessed with this whole franchise, which is based on essentially sideshows of the, you know, early 1900s, this whole franchise was created by the cartoonist Robert Ripley, who was kind of like Indiana Jones. He traveled all over the world, uh, collecting all of these odd stories and souvenirs from different cultures, and he 
started off this thing by creating these kind of comic strips of weird, obscure information. So the museum, the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum, is located in Canada, but it is on the very border of the United States, so definitely travel there. I think Buffalo, New York, is on the other side of Niagara Falls, but it is not very, you know, does not have a lot of attractions, you know, so a lot of people go beyond the border into Canada. So on the Canadian side of Niagara Falls, at 4960 Clifton Hill, Niagara Falls, Ontario, Canada, there is the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum. I believe it is still there, even though it is something from both our childhoods. And as far as I saw on the internet, it still looks like a collapsed building with King Kong on its side. So immediately once you see it, you will just have to go inside and see what the heck is uh, uh, going on with this building. Now, more American, more local. And I am so glad that we discussed this and that we redeemed the museum in all its glory. So in the town of Sutton, located just two miles from exit 62 on I-79, on 209 Main Street is the Flatwoods Monster Museum. I already discussed the museum with my friend in a previous episode. We discussed it today as well. Just go visit it if you are into, you know, these cryptids, these alien encounters, if you are somebody who is a fan of the whole Flatwoods Monster thing. It is a must-see. But while you are in Sutton, located at 404th Street, in the same town, is the West Virginia Bigfoot Museum. So if you are going into Sutton, and you might as well visit both of these museums. Now, another thing I wanted to touch upon, because it seems like a very interesting thing, is this Arthurdale Heritage site, where Caitlin's grandparents used to work. Now, it is located in 18 Q Road, Arthurdale, West Virginia. And based on what I saw on Wikipedia and other sites, this is a kind of community that was built in 1933 at the height of the Great Depression. And it was a social experiment to provide opportunities for unemployed local miners and farmers, with heavy involvement by the First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt, who used her influence to win a government approval to start this project. Arthurdale is now classified as a historical district, with over a hundred of the original buildings still standing. There is some kind of museum there as well, and based on their website, they offer guided tours and events like the New Deal Festival, Eleanor's Birthday Party, they sponsor free community events, like a visit with Santa, and an Easter egg hunt, so you may go there, you know, very soon. They also run a heritage craft shop and a co-op store with the local organic foods. Plus, they offer classes in everything from fly fishing to painting to genealogy. So, a very, very interesting historical site you should go visit. Not related to cryptids, but just, you know, history, man, history. I'm obviously not scripting this. I I don't feel like scripting these (laughs) parts of the episode anymore. So, on to books, because I always need to, you know, plug some books. Many of you probably got pissed off when I said that the Patterson-Gimlin footage of Bigfoot was, you know, probably a hoax, and that I said that it was a proven hoax, and then most Bigfoot enthusiasts would say, no, it was never proven. Well, let's start off with this book. So the book is titled The Making of Bigfoot, The Inside Story by Greg Long. I know a lot of Bigfoot enthusiasts will, you know, criticize this book, but the book provides valuable insight into the people who were involved in this whole event, as I should say, I won't say hoax. 
And the writer even interviewed a person who supposedly created the costume as well as the person who supposedly wore the costume during filming. I mean, it's an interesting read regardless. But let's end this with something that is verified fiction. So you may go and read any Goosebumps book you want. Like, do I really need to plug that? Everybody knows about Goosebumps. Every book has a different protagonist, has a different story. Just pick one that you like the most. Though we all pick the one with the uh, most appealing cover art because the artwork is so fantastic. Not on the new um, revised versions of the books, but the ones from the 90s with all the slime. But hey, since we all know about Goosebumps, maybe not everybody knows about the Bailey School Kids, the other book series that I mentioned. So the first book in the series, Vampires Don't Wear Polka Dots, is not really a great book. It's so it's an okay start and introduction to the characters, but what I'd recommend, and this is my favorite of the series, is the second book, Werewolves Don't Go to Summer Camp. It has all the classic elements of a werewolf story. It has the kids going on summer camp and their camp coach or counselor being this, you know, hairy guy who eats raw meat and stuff like that and just wants to pull the kids into the woods alone on uh, nighttime hikes and stuff like that. It's a great read. Like, if you enjoy this book, you can just go on with the series. You can find it now on Kindle. They're actually releasing uh, a few books from the series every month. Looks like it's gone up in popularity now. And for the end, Caitlin, thank you for (laughs) guesting on my show. Thank you for just sitting with me and having this wonderful chat. It was so fun, just not having to research anything, just not having to prepare something to talk about a certain central topic. You work in a freaking zoo. There's a lot of things we can go into off the top of our heads. So thank you. I really want you to be on the show again. And for the listeners, I also mentioned this uh, little audio clip that I sent to Caitlin for her own show. She will possibly release it when she does another uh, cryptid-related episode. Let's end this uh, cringy, awkward episode with... uh, a more cringy and more awkward um, song from me. So here it is, guys. Ugh. Hey, is that a Bigfoot pooping on that tree? Oh, yes, it is. Oh, no, it's getting away from me. Can't a guy shit in his own forest home? These cryptozoologists just won't leave me alone. At least he left some evidence that turned over there. A print of his foot and this giant clump of hair. My skin is now itching. The fuck are these scabs? Went to the dock. He said I got cryptid crabs.